Hello. Hey. Uh, Welcome. Willkommen. Is that? That's German. That's German. Um, I, I don't. Guten. Willkommen. Uh, guten. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. <laughs> that means goodbye. Bonjour. Um, fuck. Sprechen die Deutsch. How does Swedish work? Willkommen. Welcome. Will. Um, I don't know any other. I don't know any Swedish words. I, don't, I know like some German words. Yeah. <laughs> Kallax. Sprechen die uh, Deutsch. It's Kallarts is actually how it's pronounced. <laughs> but yeah, I know, I know like, uh, like Sprechen die Deutsch. I know, um... I know, um, PewDiePie. I know... <laughs> <laughs> so we watched Midsummer. We saw Midsummer. Uh, uh, really weird that they didn't have a cameo from, uh, Felix Kunterbar, whatever his last name is. I, I don't think it's weird. I think it's actually completely normal that they well, didn't I, have... Well, it makes sense that they would cut it out since they cut out the Nazi references. <laughs> We're right in the fucking deep end. Um, so we're really excited to talk about this movie. Yeah. Uh, uh, I has seen it twice. I watched a movie so nice. I watched it twice. Uh, you haven't done that since us. I I really haven't. And let me tell you, it hits fucking different. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, let's start with that. Like, what was what was your 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 in and out experience first time versus second time? Well, um, so I had kind of like I don't know. I I feel kind of weird. I, I feel kind of misgivings about coming into it with this sort of hereditary expectations of because I felt a lot of dread um, during my first viewing of Midsummer. Yeah, same. Especially because I I had been warned that it was gory, mm-hmm. and given how oppressive. Uh, hereditary was yeah i was expecting just that atmosphere but with gore <laughs> yeah, absolutely um and then kind of like second time through like i'm certain that i, I haven't rewatched hereditary um I, like I, i've only seen it once i, I really want to check it out again but i also don't feel like my anxiety is going to go down uh whereas with midsummer i was able to really appreciate it as kind of this like weird screwball college drama thing uh this sort of fable that it's it's really trying to be um and it it was a lot funnier and a lot more i was able to really uh, kind of see the granular aspects of how uh the students kind of related to each or not yeah students kind of related to each other more um I don't know what it, what did Jay what what did you think of Midsummer? Did you? Um, I I liked it. I actually it's funny that you mentioned the funny thing. Um, Aster has that kind of like Yorgos thing where like the first time you watch his movie, you're like the, the things that you were laughing at aren't supposed to be funny. You're just laughing because you're stressed, and then you see another one of his movies and you're like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> no, he just is the, the exact same kind of like brain broken that we are. Where he's yeah. just like, wouldn't it be really funny if during this upsetting scene this happened? <laughs> It's actually really funny that there's this weird bait and switch where they they kind of just like advertised it as like kind of a horror thriller vehicle and then it's actually like a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> like we were we were all kind of we were all kind of struck by that when we saw it in the theater. Uh, apparently he one of the next movies he's thinking of making is cuz he's like he's like you know he's got ideas for genres that he wants to go do but he's like he's been like yeah I kind of sometimes want to make just like a straight comedy drama like not yeah. something that is horror things. And I think uh you know what? I think I'll go see that. I, and I'll go see that, and he will probably surprise me by having more gore in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, he, he did. There was some sort of interview where he ended it off with, like, yeah, I want my next movie to take place in a cheesecake factory or something. Like- I I really, I, I saw so that, inspired. and I was like, I 
sincerely would watch a horror horror movie, comedy, anything of his that takes place in a cheesecake factory. Just entirely in a cheesecake factory. A hundred percent. What's that movie you always recommend I watch about the, the dinner table conversation? Oh, Festin. The yeah. Celebration, which is very... Um, I, I, I feel like it would be a movie like that, where it's like it would be the whole film would look like a Cheesecake Factory commercial, but it would be dealing with, like, deep family secrets. God. <laughs> in oh. a Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> that would actually be a fucking sick-ass Festin remake. Uh, everybody watch Festin. It's really uh, yeah, intense. I'm actually, I asked you partially, this is a trick, uh, so that I can finally add it to my watch list. Because uh-huh. every time I try to remember it, I'm like, oh, it's called, like, like, uh, like <laughs> conversation. <laughs> family dinner. <laughs> <laughs> family dinner time. And then go- trying to Google, like, family dinner, big secret exposed movie, nothing. God. This is this is definitely, Midsummer's definitely a movie that kind of feels like Festin in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, so, yeah, Midsummer uh, kind of falls within my favorite genre and type of movie. Uh, it, I, I really had a very strong, um, like, kind of emotional reaction to Midsummer. Uh for you know really obvious reasons and it it's kind of resonates with me in the same way that i think it resonates with a lot of millennials i i, I suppose um because wow this shit it it talks about some shit that is very real and very hard and the characters feel very lived in yeah i know that's um i think that's probably one of my favorite elements of the film is is, is people who've probably seen it which you should if you haven't or if you can't stand oh, gore yeah. it's fine if you whatever listen i guess yeah watch the tv at it i would um, say <laughs> <laughs> I, I have legitimately like there's, there's like a part where like like as as the old people are jumping off the cliff it just cuts to like a birthday cake on the floor <laughs> like, like a birthday cake dropping <laughs> yeah it cut it cuts to that one thing that paul rudd keeps doing on that fucking like the mac and me clip <laughs> <laughs> the, be- the little Mac and me alien pops up over every scene with gore like <laughs> 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 um yeah the gore like the gore is kind of simultaneously essential and non-essential to the film so i've been legitimately recommending a lot of people be like hey hey watch the tv edit maybe yeah um, it's it's something where i think it's definitely it definitely feels necessary to the texture of the film yeah but it is something where like if the gore is what's going to get in your way of enjoying or being able to watch the film. If there's like an edit of it or like a balderized version or like, I don't know, like some sort of like content warning, like five, four, three, two, one, Gore's going to be on screen. Yeah. You cover your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like the, the first bit of Gore in the film is very, very telecasted. Like you, you see it coming. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of times where it's just like, here's a then, shot of like, oh, it's just going to cut to them burning the bodies with smashed in skulls or like yeah. he runs into his shed and here's a person whose lungs have been pulled out the back of their body yeah. and they're slowly suffocating to death. Yeah, there's certainly the presence of um, kind of Ari Aster's like sadisticness and sort of uh, there, there's there's a lot of that sort of thing of, of these kind of elements coexisting and kind of lane switching like at the drop of a hat, which... It kind of being like a jump scare in and of itself, but it's also really not scary. It's 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 the same sort of thing you do with Hereditary, where it's like things that aren't jump scares, but like give you the same feeling without the annoyance. Yeah. The the classic I always go to is um my favorite non jump scare jump scare in Hereditary is still like when um the son wakes up and like as the scene is like as he's just staring out the window, and so you the audience are like 
staring at the window as well, out the door as well, expecting something to appear. Your edit scene doesn't progress. Your eyes start to drift. And then you realize that Tony Collette is crouched in the corner of the ceiling. Yeah. And that's what scares the shit out of you because you realize that she's been there the entire time, but your eyes immediately went to the doorway. Oh, such, such incredible. Literally, literally uh, when you see it, you shit bricks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, M- Midsummer, it kind of... The the thing about Midsummer that I was really struck by stylistically is that it's very it's a very bodily movie. Um, not only in just kind of the they put forward a lot of these this breathy sort of like that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's a motif throughout the movie where like the this sort of uh, Swedish cult is kind of doing that. Um, but like breath, like the sound of breath, like becomes claustrophobically loud, like at a lot of different points in the movie, kind of in the same way that like Hereditary has a lot of scenes where there's like a low droning bass tone to just kind of make you anxious. Midsummer has that has like a very bodily, very visceral texture to it throughout um, that that I that I was really, really obsessed with and really kind of metabolized a lot of things that I like that I've thought of in like different states of mind uh, to also be clear. Midsummer is kind of a drug movie. Uh, yeah, no, they are on acid for probably a good 40% of the film. <laughs> Not really. It's more like mushrooms and just like natural sort of holistic. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the visuals were definitely very acid. Uh-huh. Uh, I admittedly, I've never tried shrooms or rather, think... sorry, that's a lie. <laughs> I've never experienced shrooms. Um, oh, Okay. So I don't know if the visuals were quite that, but the visuals were definitely very like acid. Um, okay. That that was actually one of my favorite like weird little visual tricks they do is in the in the like last quarter of the film when they're on acid or on whatever the hallucinogen is. Just the small bits of visual distortion that go on, yeah, and like the way they'll intensify as the characters get more stressed out. But when they're just like calm and like, oh, we're having a dinner, I guess it's just like trees in the background. She's in the background kind of growing and shrinking. The flowers yeah. on her hat kind of like dilating randomly. Yeah, that felt really accurate. No, that was that was like such an incredible like dedication because it's something they absolutely did not need to do. But it's like it it, it, it works well, too, because d- depending on how the acid is distorting things, you can tell whose perspective you're seeing that scene that shot from. Mm-hmm. Like whenever it's Christian is center frame, it's a lot more like aggressively like for yeah. bo- like increasing on him, and then whenever it's uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on her name, Danny. Danny. Whenever it's Danny in frame, it's like big and open, and it's just like you know mountains kind of swaying slightly. Yeah, it's very very it's it's really nice. I really like that detail in like the film of just like really capturing how mood dependent hallucinogens can be and how they distort things. Yeah, absolutely, and, and it really kind of comes down to how your perspectives are distorted. By your emotional state. (laughs) (laughs) Clunk. Clunk. Um, Yeah, like, I I, I really was struck by all the imagery of her kind of, uh, like, her, her, the the sort of bounds of her body, like, kind of melting into the earth and, like, all of these, this grass coming up from her, like, from where she's touching the ground uh, and, like, kind of, like, reconnecting with nature, blah, blah, blah. Um, and all of this stuff about like naturalism and, and beauty and like melting into the earth, uh, that is played in contrast to like, like 
my 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 brain races thinking about this movie because there's just so much cool shit. It's it's uh, a very long movie with a lot to chew on. Yeah. <laughs> Because, like, there, there's there's all of this imagery that is, like, so bodily and so, like, centering with nature and so, like, yeah, you know, like, kind, kind of beautiful but terrifying and complicated, uh, it, it, which is cast against, like, this whole immersion therapy thing Danny's going through where she's, like, watching these people kind of ritualistically self-sacrifice and commit suicide, uh, cast against, like, her parents dying which is like the her parents to be clear being mur- in, being killed in a murder suicide that her sister yeah her i think they say she has like severe bipolar disorder yeah something like that like something like like it, the implication is that it's like it's it's a bipolar disorder bad enough that it causes psychosis seems mm-hmm. to be the implication in the film yeah which it every every part about that uh like about really the beginning of the movie is just truly horrifying uh really like troubling uh really emotionally um just like emotionally just destroys you uh and at the same time it's like i don't know it's this really it's this really complicated thing where like that's that's a really ugly and horrible and hard to look at thing that happens to her that happens to danny i should say um and like by sheer comparison everything else that happens in the movie is not really not as bad not as bad yeah like (laughs) her her boyfriend and his shitty friends get killed Eh. yeah (laughs) i i really love that like ariaster has been like it's a more dramatic version of a of burning your ex's things (laughs) (laughs) which is which is burning your ex in a giant i just realized he's in a giant stuffed bear yeah as if like like this kind of bullshit stuffed carnival bear that a boyfriend gets you that is burned <laughs> as a cliche in movies. Well, I yeah. just made that connection. <laughs> I mean, there's a there's a whole shitload of stuff about like the bear imagery and like bear bears like in folklore and what like everything they represent and like there's uh there there's a there's a bunch of like there's like a painting literally in Danny's room of the bear on fire. <laughs> Yeah, there's like, well, there's one of the bear on fire and then one of, there's one of like a girl with a flower crown kissing a bear. Uh, like, uh, it's it's so replete with like that shit throughout the movie. Uh, there's there's the one interview Aster gives where he's like, yeah, the murals tell you everything that happens in the film. And we wanted to do that because we decided early on that it's like, it's a full core film. You know what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he's like, he's like, he's like, and I wanted to play with that. The fact that like these guys are studying this so they know what's going to happen, but they just think that they're going to be above it. Yeah. (laughs) Like they're not going to be subject to these rituals that they are studying and clearly see are about to happen. (laughs) Literally painted on the walls in front of them. (laughs) That to me, like that's the selling point of this movie. And that's what makes it so interesting to me um, is that like bad things happening to these shitty american tourists is absolutely a foregone conclusion like and and the the way the movie the way the movie talks about the cult is so much more uh interesting and three-dimensional and realized than simply you know like a a kind of uh, just kind of a one-dimensional sort of no escape situation they're not like we worship satan in our satan cult where we do satan crimes it's yeah like, 
it definitely feels like all right this is a cult that has these rituals that have been enshrined over they say that the the sacrificing sacrificial ritual happens every 90 years Mm -hmm. but in order for that to be like a thing they had to have been doing this for like probably hundreds of years yeah and they're very insular and isolated to an extent so it's definitely something where it's like yeah it it feels like these are reasonable you know dv uh reasonable like treads to be worn into the cult over time although when we get to it i do want to talk about uh the cult's many contradictions contradictions oh yeah no i mean well we we can just kind of dive into that because like the cult in this movie uh is so fucking interesting like the the thing the thing that a lot of horror horror films really want to do is just kind of have there be a have there be a cult whereas in this one like it it, it isn't interested in making any concessions and or, or being like you know like this cult exists in spite of society it's like no this cult exists like in conjunction with and and like because of society and they are aware of society and their case, they are able to make their case so well that they are able to continue existing as like a sacrificial, insane cult. Do you think that's why they have the bit about them watching Austin Powers? Absolutely. Like, like I that scene still makes me lose it because, like, as I was like, I was like, that means that they have power. Yeah. Basically, solely to watch Austin Powers because <laughs> yeah. you don't see them use electricity like at any other point in the film except when Danny's on acid and one of them is on a computer. Yeah, or Which, I, I don't remember if it's on a computer. It's like it's something like they're on some electronic device. No, there's a laptop. It's a laptop during That's Danny's bad trip at the beginning of the movie, which uh, like is so funny. Uh, there's so much funny shit like that in this movie um, because like. That's, yeah, that's really the thing. It's, like, they're not not aware of, like, Western standards of, of ethics and ideology and, and all of this. Like, of course, like, they live in the fucking world. Yeah. But, in that, like, when you look at Austin Powers from an objective standpoint, there is nothing, like, unshakably, <laughs> there, like, there is nothing unshakably, like, that needs to be upheld, like, philosophically that Austin Powers is, like, made of in the fabric of Austin Powers. Like, it feels... It feels kind of uh, ubiquitous in our lives just because of being Americans, uh, but like, it it's also bullshit. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's misogynist. It's, so it's like technically like bad. Yeah, <laughs> uh, in in the same way that this cult is like air quotes technically bad. You know what I mean? So my my take on the cults, put my hand down, and <laughs> we'll, we'll see how much this is held up by the. Uh, the forthcoming three to four hour long cut that Ari Aster is oh, apparently going to release. Desperate to watch. If it, if they if it gets a release here, we're going to go see it. I think the cult is a metaphor for the rise of fascism, <laughs> and not in a like I'm making everything political. But actually, it was like this was something I was sort of prompted to see before going in because mm-hmm. I was reading this thing, or someone was like, "Hey, um, people who are going to go see this movie, particularly white people, and not in a, like, white people be like way, but in a, like, because it's going to be really bad if you do this way. Yeah. Um, they're like, a lot of the ruins in the film are real Nordic ruins, <laughs> which have very white supremacist connotations now. Like, the people who made this movie definitely researched it and, like, definitely chose those ones for very specific reasons. Huh. Uh, and apparently, because the original script had a lot more, like, random lines that kind of, like, introduced that element more into the film. There's, like, a joke about um, about when he's asking about the ruin language. Like, one of them has a book about, like, Nazi ruins. Oh, wow. And, like, that's kind of, like, the connection he makes. He's like, oh, these are the same ruins. But he doesn't make the connection that, like, 
the Nazi ruins. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, there's also this kind of like forced eugenics thing that happens in the theatrical cut of yeah the the sort of like disabled child and and Oster said that like that character Ruben as he put as is the character's name it's somewhat drawn on like the the rise of oh, far yes. right extremism yeah his name is Ruben okay yeah it, uh in is specifically in Sweden mm-hmm. um you know the way in which like the kind of like closed borders narrative that they're pushing necessitates inbreeding is essentially the idea um and that was so that was something I knew about going in and it like made me kind of notice a lot of the contradictions of the cult and the way in which a lot of their message and what they offer to Danny is essentially like, hey, society is wild and crazy and you can't control it. But what if you could control the whole community and you didn't have to feel pain because we decide when the pain happens? Um, mm. And so how the way in which like the, the, the narrative that they sell to Danny instead of the fairy tale thing that she finds... You know, on one level, she finds community, she finds real support, she finds real love and care. But what she has to accept in that is a cult that has very, very heavy fascist implications and a lot of contradicting claims. Um, And with Ruben, the one I noticed specifically is the the scene where Christian is asking about about, uh, inbreeding. And they're like, oh, no, we have to bring in new blood occasionally for that reason. We we observe the incest taboo is the line. Yeah. And then the scene, like, I think immediately after or very shortly after is when Josh is in the temple and he's asking questions and the, and Reuben comes up and they say, oh, no, Reuben is intentionally is intentional because uh, he's like, how do you you know, what do you do if like another child with disabilities is born? Like, what do you do if um, if like the if Ruben dies and you know do you just wait for another child with the same deformities to be born and they go oh no we intentionally breed them that way they're there he is from a bloodline that is specifically selected to be inbred yeah which means that they don't actually air quotes observe the incest taboo yeah what they actually mean is that we observe the fact that there's only one bloodline that's allowed to do this yeah which which really falls in line there there's so much like thematically about like weird communication in this movie where like the cult is consistently telling like 80% of the truth. Yeah. And and the 20% is like that they're missing is like the big, always the biggest part. Yeah. Uh, where like, there's also this other scene where, um, these, uh, sort of non-white British, uh, like tourists who, uh, Pele's brother Ingmar has brought, um, he, he kind of is just like, yeah, me and uh, me and this girl that I brought were dating, and then all of a sudden she met this other guy, and now they're uh, now they're engaged. They, they met shortly after we broke up. It's really funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then like she's immediately like, we were not dating. We hung out one time. I didn't know it was a date. I didn't know it was a date. And he's like, yeah, but, but, like, but anyway, that we stayed friends after. <laughs> and she's like, we were always friends, yeah. <laughs> just friends. Um, and, the, and which then, I also love because it introduces such a like. In similar contradiction, the way in which, like, these sacrifices these giving are supposed to be framed as beautiful and stuff. But in that scene, it's very obvious that this is, like, petty revenge. Yeah. That he's bringing them to the cult to be killed because uh-huh. he got cucked. <laughs> yeah. And then, interestingly, he's actually one of the people who, like, gives himself up, like, at the end of the movie. So, quite literally, doing a murder-suicide for for things that are even less for things that are even more petty than like mental illness it, it like it's yeah. literally 
It's literally technically and literally like a, a, a worse crime than what Danny's sister committed. In in the um in the in that ending scene too, like another thing about it is like, you know, they frame it as like beautiful, like, ah, oh, you're giving yourself as a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And he has the thing where he gives them like he's like, this tree sap will help you um will like yeah. help ease the pain and stuff. And then we see immediately that that character is in horrifying pain. Yeah. And the thing I love about the way that scene is constructed is that it's um what's the what's the friend's name? Um Igmar. Ingmar? Ingmar? Yeah. Uh, so it's Ingmar looking at the other guy. Yeah. The other guy catches on fire and starts screaming in agony. And it cuts back to Ingmar. And Ingmar just has this look on his face of, oh, fuck. Yeah. And it's like, to me, it's it's it refl- it's a sort of like compliment to Danny being new to the cult. And she's fully embracing it and smiling. Yeah. But then you have Ingmar, who's been in the cult his whole life, who essentially helped bring Danny into it by telling her all these things, realizing, oh, the cult lied to me. Yeah. This is going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to hurt a lot. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's just kind of this inevitability that's like being played with. And, and it's just so it's so interesting. And it works on every level that like every character in this movie has like an arc. I sorry. I just I just also made the connection in my brain. This got this movie so layered and so good. <laughs> is that when he's talking to her about grief and how he also lost his parents? He's like, but I didn't feel the same pain you're feeling because that's... I had the community there. And so that scene of him realizing, so oh, they're Pele. lying. Pele, yeah. He's yeah. like that scene of him realizing, oh, they're lying. It is gonna hurt. Is also the same thing with Danny is being sold this myth of, oh, it's never going to hurt to have a breakup again. Right. It's never going to hurt to have your heart broken. It's never going to hurt to lose people. They're lying. It is going to hurt. (laughs) Yeah. Because as long as you're being sort of held by this community, you will, you you know, like, you will be fine. There's there's so much, like kind of false hope being offered uh oster in in an interview said that the film is about her getting out of an unhealthy codependent relationship and getting into a much healthier codependent relationship but with a murderous cult (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so um there's also god to to kind of put a cap on the sort of uh fascism discussion i suppose or not even put a cap on it which is like uh there there's a uh there was an interaction that I like noticed the second time I watched the movie where Josh is, well, uh, the kind of patriarch of the cult, uh, meets the, uh, college students for the first time. And he's like, oh yeah, no, you like my frock. It's very girly. Well, we, we, blah, blah, blah. We respect the hermaphroditic, uh, aspects of nature, blah, blah, blah. And he's kind of yakking about like his own philosophy. And then Josh is like, oh yeah, that's just like, uh, this other random, society in this other random corner of the world and the guy just stares at him for a <laughs> second, which is really funny because it's simultaneously like oh it's kind of doing the fable thing of like josh is really only able to see his own like his own personal character arc and like this patriarch character is is also just like i don't really give a shit about what you're talking about because that is outside of the borders of my weird little society so sure whatever guy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just that dynamic uh, with, like, every character in throughout the movie is so fucking cool and, like, interesting. Um, just to just to kind of also, like, talk about Josh, I was really... I, I really loved Josh as a character. I feel like 
the sort of weird fascist stuff is like kind of present in the movie, but I also would want to watch like a longer cut. I I, I think the the longer cut is my my assumption because in the interview where he mentions with Ruben specifically, he says that Ruben has more scenes in the longer in like his original cut. Yeah. Uh, so I'm assuming it's more of an explicit thing in the longer cut. It's just something that I think is interesting because it's like I see a lot of discussion about you know the breakup elements and Danny. You know, is it good? Is it bad at the end of Danny? And to me, I'm like, well, I think the thing that's interesting about the film is that it's it's good. She gets catharsis, but it sort of asks, like, not at what cost, but it asks, like, hey, what in in seeking catharsis, what can we possibly risk, like, opening ourselves up to? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not like it's condemning her for seeking catharsis. It's not like it's condemning her actions. I don't think it's condemning her actions at all. But I think it is sort of like there's a slight like, but, you know, the festivities aren't even over. Yeah. She doesn't know what's coming in the next four days. You don't know what's coming in the next four days. It could end up being that this was like not worth it. That's very true, actually, because I, I hadn't thought about that aspect where like it's not necessarily like the end of the festival it's just the end of the movie you know what i mean and then it's like the beginning of the rest of danny's insane cult life well uh and this is something i didn't notice until someone else pointed out at the beginning they say there's like eight uh eight days of the festival and the the end of the film happens on day four wow so there's like four more days that we don't even see and that danny doesn't even know is coming yeah because danny's like especially because danny's like lost any sense of time because of the the lack of sun yeah <laughs> or that's the, sorry the true. lack of sunfall yeah yeah definitely um so yeah just thinking about danny uh this movie this movie kind of does something that is like my favorite thing for movies to do where it does not blame uh really any character or rather it does not feel like it's blaming or placing blame upon any of the characters particularly for uh their actions and and in that way, it functions, like, really successfully as a movie about a cult. Uh, and, like, it it kind of does the same thing that, I like, that my favorite movie ever, Lady Vengeance, does. <laughs> uh, where it's like, what the fuck else was she gonna do? Yeah. Like, you really aren't gonna just join up and join a cult when your, like, boyfriend is, like, unable to communicate with you. Like, throughout that movie, Christian is so like, has so obviously, like, such major problems with, like, communication and honesty and, like, reading the room and... (laughs) I I really love the scene right before, really right before they leave, where she notices that he's planning to go in, like, three weeks Mm -hmm. and that he hasn't mentioned it. And it's so obviously this tense moment of, like, she starts immediately apologizing and trying to like close the box because she realizes that what's going on is that he's planning on breaking up with her. Yeah. And rather than him taking the fucking plunge and doing it, Mm -hmm. it cuts to him being like, so Danny's coming, but she's not coming. Yeah. But I told her she's coming and I told her that you all want her to come. Yeah, absolutely. Just the most- And then immediately cuts to her- on the plane trip coming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Literally had his moment to take his shot. It's been long enough since that tragedy. It's very obvious that he's not in the relationship anymore. He could have just ended it there, didn't, then had three more weeks to take it back and admit that that's what he was, what was going on. And he still doesn't do it. It's yeah. such a, oh, it's such 
brilliant character writing because it's like it's so good. It's so early on establishes his biggest problems in the relationship, which is he does not. I, I was we we're talking about it earlier. I was like, I said he does not want to be responsible for hurting Danny. Not that he cares if she gets hurt or not. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's that he's like a sociopath. It's that he just doesn't want to be the one who's at fault for it. Yeah. I would say like, in spite of the fact that this is majorly not necessarily a horror film, uh, to me, the the absolute scariest part of the movie is when um, the, Christian is like literally talking to his friends about breaking up with Danny. And then he gets the call. That's her just screaming. God, and then it scene. cuts. It cuts to a shot of him walking up outside of her apartment and hearing her screaming from inside. And and like knowing what he's about to walk into. Knowing like, what he's about to walk into, knowing what he was just saying. Yeah. <laughs> like the my the the fucking floor dropped out from under me during that shit. Like that that's the hardest part of the movie for me. And it's and it's hard to be like fuck fuck Christian like entirely um like I don't know. It's I feel like uh, one thing I, I think is like I, I noticed a lot of people be like, oh, and then he cheats on Danny at this like emotional time. And I'm like, I mean, here's the thing. I don't think Christian would have ever cheated on Danny for the same reason he wouldn't break up with her because he's a fucking coward. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because he's a coward and he doesn't want to hurt her. Even he doesn't want to hurt her. He It's a trolley problem situation. He doesn't want to hurt her directly. So he's going to let her get hurt way more in a much more longer term way. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to do a short-term bit of something that will make her hate him. Yeah. Um, so consequently, I don't think he would have cheated on her. The He literally cheats on her because he is drugged <laughs> <laughs> and is literally just shoved into a room of a bunch of naked women and basically physically forced to fuck her. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, like, you know, he made his choice and stuff, but it's also like, that, that also ties into the contradictions of the cults is then they're there and they're holding her and they're feeling her pain. A lot of people point to that scene, but it's also like it's intercut with them helping him cheat on her. So they're mm-hmm. literally creating the pain yeah. and then selling her a solution to the pain. Yeah, 100 percent. Some could say capitalism works the same way. <laughs> <laughs> One might argue um that's all i mean that's also how fascism works really i mean fascism is just capitalism yeah wow (laughs) wait up (laughs) (laughs) um god yeah it's just such a it's so it's so deep and there's just so much shit so much there's so (laughs) many like good layered character interactions also like this is something just even as i was walking out of the film and thinking back over it um, the fact that at the start of the film, when he's giving her advice on her sister, mm-hmm. everything he is saying applies to his and Danny's relationship. That's true. Where he's like, every time she has this freak out, you give into it and you soothe her. So you just encourage her to get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. That's not actually what's going on with her sister. That's what's going on with him and Danny. Yeah. Because he's never like, hey, you're having a panic attack. <laughs> yeah <laughs> he, he he's he's always just saying like he's he's always trying to like you know and it's like it's not that that's like you know he should just be like get over it thought <laughs> <laughs> it's just like he is he it, it very much so the implication is that he feeds into that anxiety because he doesn't know how to actually cope with her anxiety mm-hmm. and so consequently he ends up just feeding it because that's what will solve the problem faster for him the movie does so much really interesting shit of so much really interesting shit uh 
which is a great sentence that I just said out of my mouth. It, uh, do, it does. And then, and then you have the fact that Danny's got her well, own I was, I was just making problems. fun of my own grammar. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I like how every character, or, or rather the way the movie talks about communication um, of people just kind of like being stuck inside of their own head and how the cult is kind of selling this bullshit idea of just like, oh no, we actually are all like, we're all connected and we're communicating in this like really, you know, connected way, blah, blah, blah. We feel, we feel each other's pain and there's no reason to have boundaries. Uh, <laughs> there's no boundaries here. If you want to fuck, you know, the elders will just be like, hey, <laughs> you want to fuck this? <laughs> Somebody come fuck this. Mom's going to be there. She's going to be shoving your ass in. <laughs> Yeah, um, so, like, there's, like, another bit with Josh, uh, being, like, hey, uh, because there's that scene where they're all, like, kind of giving, they're all kind of giving, giving Christian the advice that, like, is just something that they have obviously been, like, thinking about themselves, which is Will Poulter's character just being, like, just, just dump her, she's a thought, uh, Josh being, like, are you sure you, like, don't have personal work to be doing on yourself like I, your thesis i i loved josh introducing a just introduce it's very like it's all it would almost be ham-handed if it wasn't a hundred percent what josh's character would say yeah because <laughs> because josh's character has no tact and would just say that yeah where he just straight up says are you sure that the reason you're not either working on your relationship or breaking up with her because you need the personal drama <laughs> <laughs> just straight up saying like you are doing like you love this drama you love this 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 indecisiveness because it solves your problems for you. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I don't know, just all, all of all of the characters and like, it, it also kind of makes Pele uh, a really interesting character to me. Because um, he's, he's really nice and he's really selfless. And he says he like apologizes in, in ways that Christian specifically doesn't. And also, I want to point out one of my favorite aspects of the movie, which is Christian forgets Danny's birthday. And Pele has to remind him that it's Danny's birthday and gives him a cake to give to Danny, which is so fucking funny. That's so, it's so good. I also love that he then can't light it. Yeah. And it goes on for like, it's not like, oh, I can't, it's not like. It's a happy birthday. Oh, I can't light it. It's like a solid minute of him just doing this, trying to light the cake. It's such a good bit. It's so so while, while like funny. a cult is singing behind them and it's really loud so it's like kind yeah. of covering up what he's saying yeah um and it's just so it's 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 so apt and it's so good uh, and and it's so deeply uh like the whole messaging of the movie being like hey like your 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 standard of communication is not really the problem or like it kind of is it's just kind of like this uh, this isn't going to solve your problems. Like maybe being more, more cognizant and more being able to like put your foot down and like being able to actually fucking talk to each other would help. Uh, but also you don't have to kind of rubber band to the opposite direction of having absolutely no boundaries of any kind. Uh, like, I don't know. There's so much. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think, I think, I think it's like what you're saying is, is like really kind of at the heart of it is that like the cult having no boundaries is appealing to Danny in a relationship where there's extreme, like they are both extremely guarded and have huge walls above each other. Yeah. But 
the 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 no boundaries of the cult isn't healthy either. Yeah. It's just more appealing because it's what she doesn't have. Yeah, absolutely. Like there there's so much that happens where people just kind of steamroll over each other's like wishes and wants. Uh and and like Pele totally like he does it with a smile on his face and he's very kind, but he steamrolls over everything that Danny could have possibly wanted out of this weekend. Like Danny probably, you know, wanted something that was like healing. And then also he, but, but like he kind of obviously doesn't really care about her. Uh, and, and like maybe it, it feels better because it's a, it's a, it's some, it's a way of not caring about her that feels more kind of easy for her to understand as opposed to the whole thing with Christian just being like, hey, you're supposed to love me what the fuck is going on? Like, we're supposed to, we're supposed to love each other, blah, blah, blah. She, she, she loves, she, she is drawn in by Pile because he offers her a role. Yeah. He offers her a place in a relationship, which is not what she feels with Christian. Yeah. But she isn't quite at the point yet of realizing that, like, what she, that, like, him offering her a place in a relationship isn't the same as her having a place she wants. Mm-hmm. And she feels like it is because she's the Mayweather, she becomes the Mayweather queen. She gets to have all of this stuff that's all the, around the, her. The it's so Mayweather great. Um, fuck off. Um, but, you know, is she really being, is she really getting to do that? Or is yeah. it just, this is how we get her to join our cult? Yeah. Absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about, um, like some of the, some of the other character motivation, because like that, that also kind of comes up with like Christian as well, because as as much as Christian is like going through a thousand different things at the same time, Christian is also uh, during the second, my second viewing of the movie, I was in the theater writing notes, by the way. So I was wondering what you were pulling (laughs) Um, so yeah, I have a problem. No, Uh, it's, it's, (laughs) I I did the same thing when I went and saw us. Yeah. Uh, so there's this classical horror movie thing that's happening where Danny throughout the whole movie, or like kind of more and more throughout the movie, which makes the power the power struggle between Christian and Danny way more interesting. Uh, but Danny is kind of the whistleblower and being like, hey, um, this is maybe kind of weird. Uh, have you seen Connie? Yeah. Uh, her boyfriend just kind of left her here. Uh, this is This is all really strange. And Christian's just like, wow. But no, nothing's weird here. Uh, this is fine because he, because it's all about staying a to to work on his thesis that he decided is about this place uh, to fuck with Josh as as like a petty thing. I, lo- B, I love that. <laughs> doesn't necessarily want to. There's a char- okay. So there's like a redheaded character from the cult that is flirting with him throughout the film. Who I kind of we'll get back to her. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, her name is Maya. He basically Christian is like. A, the thesis thing. B, trying to make more uh, situations where he stays to, like, kind of be around Maya. Because you can tell early on that he is, like, not thinking about cheating, but just, like, oh, I want to be around this person that likes me. Yeah, right now. yeah like, the, very much. He's not thinking about cheating, but he's like, oh, if I wasn't in this relationship, yeah, I could sleep with this person. Yeah, and that's exactly. what I mean about like why I don't think he would cheat is like I don't think he's the kind of cheater in that sense, but mm-hmm. I do think he's the kind of person where he's like, oh man, if only I wasn't dating this girl. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and kind of the same thing happens to Josh, where Josh is like, yeah, this is this is kind of weird, blah blah blah. That's this is crazy, something something. Uh, anyway, I gotta stay. Um, 
I gotta make my thesis double good because fuck Christian. And now I have and now I have to sneak into the sacred center and like take forbidden phone pictures of this Bible thing. Uh because of Christian. It's so oh, I love their uh Josh sucks. Josh is Josh is yeah. a perfect, perfect asshole dipshit. I love this scene where he pees on the tree. No, 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 just, no, no, that's not Josh. That's not Josh. Sorry. What's that character's name? Um, that's Will Poulter playing fucking. Uh, I, I got confused because I read a review where someone Mark. was like, "It's Josh Mark, and Mark," yeah. which is impossible. Very, very straight. Because like I was reading a review, someone was like, "The first time I watched this, I didn't think Josh really deserved it, but when I watched it a second time, I was like, no, wait, he kind of did." Yes, because that that's I had exactly the same thing happen to where I was like, "Man, why, why don't do this to William I, Jackson I, Harper?" I, I was gonna say I honestly think it's just because it's William Jackson Harper, and we all love yeah. Cheedy, and his character is very similar to Cheedy in this, this film. This is just a prequel to The Good Place. This is how they all died. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, wouldn't it be fucked up? But anyway. <laughs> But like he kind of does deserve it because he is up his own ass. Yeah, no, he he is up his own ass. He there's also the scene that like where they're like, oh, we're gonna have a whatever the Swedish word for suicide ritual is, and he's like, what, like a real one? Had a stoop done. Yeah, and then and then like afterwards he is too Danny's like, I'm sorry, I didn't think it was gonna be that intense, but it's like the literal translation of that word is suicide ritual. Yeah, <laughs> like and like when you ask, do you mean like an actual one? Pele says. Yes, it doesn't matter how like intense it's going to be. You should have known maybe the girl whose sister committed suicide six months ago shouldn't be here. Once again, 80% of the truth. Yeah. And just kind of pretending to be better. Yeah, it's like, oh, I, I, I totally didn't think it was going to be that bad, you know? It's oh, like, you knew it was going to so be a sorry. suicide. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's not like the name, or it's not even like suicide ritual. It's like elder. I think the, like the direct translation is like elder suicide. But like, like it's literally like exactly what her trauma would be if he knows yeah. what it is. It's not like the name of the ritual is like, ah, you know, rebirth ritual. <laughs> and that's the fucking thing about this whole movie is just like, okay, you you fucked you fucked me over, but at least you're pretending to be upset about it and you are apologizing profusely, as opposed to Christian who is just kind of like. All right, you're experiencing emotions. I'm gonna go. <laughs> that that scene is a masterclass of acting, though. When he's just so hyped about it, and then she's like upset, and she's like, "Isn't this fucked?" And like watching his like brain cycle through like fifty different responses, and then <laughs> go, "Yeah, yeah,", yeah. and like like literally like hands like fucking SNL skit actor like hands on his hips. Yeah, it is really fucked up. Yeah, but you know, I think. <laughs> But, you know, but... Danny, you know I would never support suicide rituals. Correct. But! <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Such a, it's such a brilliant, like, mixture of, like, really good character writing and, like, really good comedy character writing. Because, mm -hmm. like, you could, like, with just a little... I mean, we, we joked about it being, like, a good place prequel. Honestly, you the, the good place writing staff could basically write this same movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, as a comedy rather than as, like, a series of emotional uh, turmoil. No, absolutely. Um, I, uh, and a super important thing uh, that I want to bring up is that after the after the film, well, there's a whole bunch of comments from cast about, and, 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 like, the director about, like, 
yeah, we had we had a great time <laughs> shooting this movie at breakneck speed in the middle of summer in Budapest, getting attacked <laughs> by bugs and being stressed the fuck out. So like, there's that, and then there's also like the cast watching the uh, the their first screening of the film in apparently stunned silence, and the actor for Christian Jack Rayner, uh, apparently getting up at the end of the movie and being like, "Hey, by show of hands, how many of you think Christian deserved that?" Uh, and then like half the audience like raises their hands. A lot of women raise their hands, and he's like, "Shame on you," <laughs> which is very funny and, and and kind of emblematic, kind of like thematically emblematic of the communication disconnect that happens in this fucking movie. Uh, like, you have to understand both why Christian would act in the way that he acts, which is completely like irresponsible and irrational. And also why Danny would act in the way that she acts, which is completely irrational and irresponsible. Yeah, no, there, there, it's, it is an unhealthy relationship. Yeah, and I don't want to be like both sides are equally to blame because it's like to an extent no. I, I think greater responsibility in ending the relationship rests on Christian because he is the one who wanted out of it. Yeah, and he's also the one whose parents didn't just fucking die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it is also something where it's like it's made very clear early on that Danny also has communication issues because she has a friend. That she can talk to about her problems. Yeah. Who she is shown only talking to about, oh, am I talking to my problems to my boyfriend too much? Yeah. Oh, I'm worried about scaring him away. And it becomes the same thing where it's like she doesn't bring up that anxiety to him because if she did, even like while they were close, like I, even if they did at that point, like there's a possibility that could have air quotes saved the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like him being like, actually, yeah, I kind of have been wanting out of this relationship because I feel like a lot of emotional burden is put on me. Oh, Dope. I will try to not to do that as much. Yeah. And then they turn and look at the camera. Polyamory. <laughs> um, God. Do you remember the line where uh, Will Poulter's character, Mark, is literally just like, God, it's, it's literally abuse. Yeah. That line got such a like, got so many like, not like, not like the whole audience laughed, but so many different pieces in the audience just went, ah! <laughs> it's that like, sort of that sort of barking laugh. <laughs> yeah, it's such a jump scare line. It's it's so funny and it's it's so like yeah, this is the fucking yarn that people spend to themselves about this kind of. Fucking it it really is like yeah, this really is breakups in 2019 where it's like it's literally abuse that I won't break up with you because I don't like dating you. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, man, he it's it's so fucked up that he is not wrong, but he is like right for the absolute wrongest of reasons and because it came out of his mouth there is no way anyone is ever going to fucking listen yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is great and also i i also wrote down the line also also danny welcome to the house of psychotic women yeah which by the way i'm doing my due diligence i found out that a local library is here the seattle public library you can submit books to be purchased um, oh, wow. and a bunch of titles I've been recommending have been getting bought, including House of Psychotic Women. So yeah. if you live in Seattle and wanted to rent that book from the library, um, once <laughs> it's done processing, you can, you're welcome. You have Jay to thank. Yeah, bitch. that's literally my, that's literally me. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> and you can too, America. Um, seriously, folks, support your local libraries. Check them out. There's a lot of cool services and features. Hey, real shit. I, I, I love the library. Um, 
Unironically, I love the library. <laughs> the library is maybe the only thing that I love in this fucking it's, life. It's so weird that like th- there are so many things where like you know because I because of the way I'm socialized, I would like I round down how much I like things and whether or not they're good. Yeah, library, no, hundred percent. I'm all in. <laughs> Libraries are fucking cool. They're great. They're so relaxing. Uh, they're so nice. There's, and the people who work there are always really nice. And books it's, are cool. It's like a community public resource. It, it specifically is basically tailored to the lower class. Fuck. Libraries are good. <laughs> fuck anyone who doesn't like libraries. And fuck Amazon. <laughs> fuck Amazon. Fuck you. Um, Sorry, the line you're... <laughs> no, that's funny. Uh, yeah, just... I thought I thought that the, the line uh, of Danny being like, oh, I had a bad trip and ran into the forest and, and uh, fell asleep. Uh, is it tomorrow now? And Christian being like, from yesterday's perspective... <laughs> <laughs> that line, that line oh, is so funny. Okay, because then, then the answer to his question is yes. Yeah, <laughs> like he's just being an asshole for no reason. Like it's so funny. It's so. Oh, there's so much good stuff in this fucking movie. There's so much. There's so many moments of Danny just having to be like, "Well, fuck me, I guess." I think the like one of the saddest things in this film is the few moments where you see them interacting as if they love each other. Yeah. Uh, the scene that is just like, is just like, just like actual heartbreaking <laughs> for me was like the scene where they're watching the people pick the flowers. Uh, and <laughs> Mark, no! just, Mark just goes like, those girls know they're picking those flowers wrong. <laughs> and then Dan, you, but then as it's pulling out and it's seeing it, you see in here, Danny sits down with Christian and she goes, here, I got you these. And he's like, oh, thank you. He's like, did you pick them backwards too? She's like, uh-huh. But it's like such a cute interaction because it's that exact yeah. kind of just like playful teasing that they're doing to each other. You know, it's like, oh, I got you these flowers because uh, I did this silly little ritual. And it's, it's such a cute moment. And it's like, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really sad seeing it because you're like, oh, there was definitely like before this movie started, this was probably like not before, but like. In the first, they're together four years. In the first two years, the relationship was probably really good. Yeah. And then, you know, Danny started dealing with her family and didn't know how to cope with it. And Christian didn't know how to cope with her not coping with it. Yeah. I I think the theatrical release is really good. But I think um, the kind of extended cut that we're being teased uh, has supposedly more of Christian being like a good boyfriend in it. And I think that's what's missing. No, I I, I really I really think that really shows because like and that also shows like, you know, why Danny is in the relationship. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's really important to establish that both of them get good things out of it and that that's ultimately what makes the, like, the the breakup so traumatic for Danny yeah. is that there is a point to which the relationship was good, but it's past that point and neither of them want to admit that that is no longer the case. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Ari Oster, you smart son of a bitch. <laughs> I, I, you I'm clever Betty. This is yeah, this absolutely sealed it for me. He's probably one of my favorite uh, modern directors. Um, I went I did go and watch uh, all of his short films, including can you give me a ranking of the? <laughs> uh, yes, uh, his absolute best short film is called TDF really works. Um, it's about the dick fart. <laughs> uh, it, it's Liter- quite literally uh, a uh, advertisement that he made in like I don't know college or something uh, for basically like a, a a a like baster that you put in your dick to to like 
put air into your dick so that your dick farts instead of your ass? <laughs> I see what you mean about how, like, when you were telling me about it, you're like, it literally is, like, something that you, you, you and I both made separately in high school. Like, this sort of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, it was actually, it was a really nice moment because, um, and it really kind of, like, my film school career went uh, the way it did because I wanted to fucking kill myself every single day. <laughs> um, and I just did not want to meet new people and I just wanted to fucking die. Uh and I think Ari Aster probably had a similar experience, but he had friends. Yeah, he had friends. Uh, which means... He probably he probably went to school with his high school friends. Yeah, exactly. Which, which means... Um, or he or he went to AFI and not state college. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and he met other depressed film students who wanted to kill themselves. Yeah, and also, but who wanted to kill themselves, but also wanted to make movies more than kill themselves. Which, you know, is hard to find at state college. Uh, <laughs> but, like... There's TDF really works, but yeah, which absolutely is like a goofy fucking ad that I would have made for class, like that kind of thing. Um, and then there's the strange thing about the Johnsons, uh, which is really just him being like, hmm, can I tastefully make uh, the most untasteful content uh, I could possibly think of? And uh, my, my reaction is probably back to the drawing board, because um, no, what but... I, I will say as an aside, one of the many few big, like heavier criticisms I will levy against him is that he has trouble sometimes thinking about the way things look. Oh, a hundred percent. So there's the thing about the Johnsons movie is that he that was one of his first controversial things because he casts an all black cast and he was like, "Well, I just cast like you know like it was one of the actors was cast first and he's like, well then it's got to be a black family." Mm-hmm. Um, reasonable. But so if you don't know, the film is uh, not only about incest, but it's about the son is the sexually aggressor party towards the father. Yeah. And from what I understand, the thesis of his film is essentially supposed to be like, you know, reversing the power dynamics that are often in play at these things to like kind of underline the idea that like it is insane that this is even tolerated in society. Mm-hmm. You know, like when the power dynamics are reversed, it's so much more obvious. But it's like, <laughs> why isn't it as obvious when the power dynamics are as they normally are? Yeah. But it's a terrible. It's a, it's it's a it's a very like not a great way to execute that idea. Yeah. Uh, and but he caught flack because he cast a black family, and you know, obviously there's kind of something really loaded in the image of a sexually aggressive black man uh, abusing his family. Yeah. Um, and he kind of recreated that problem in Midsummer because I know some people were like. It's sort of weird having a Swedish all-white death cult and there's, like, very few non-white characters. Absolutely. And they get pretty brutally murdered alongside that. Which, like, as I as I feel, we, we've kind of explained a little bit. Like, it, it's explained. It's not necessarily apologized for or, or kind of cohabitated with by the rest of the elements in the movie in a very uh, helpful way, I would say. Um, there's there's that aspect of it, uh, and, and the aspect of just like these brutalized brown bodies uh, that you just kind of have to witness. There's there's brutalized white bodies, of course, but it's like a completely different context. It's yeah, um, it's it's something where it's like it's it feels a little bit more because uh, I talked to a couple of people about it where it's like there's like it's it's not that it's like bad. It's just that it's like there's a level which you can kind of feel the absence of like there's no acknowledgement of the fact that like these are the 
uh, Josh and then the two British people are the only non-white people yeah. in a cult of Swedish white people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there's also kind of the the uh, the double-edged, or, or like the other issue um, that we kind of touched on with like the eugenics and the incest thing where uh, we have a disabled character who is even more pushed off to the side uh, in this movie. And the movie does something great and says, like, and tells you in words, like, hey, this society is pushing this off to the side. Yeah. And this society is trying to make this crime against humanity as invisible as possible. And in the same way, the narrative is kind of doing that. And and that is maybe something to be cognizant of. And at the same time, it is still an image of a disabled person that is like being neglected. Yeah, and it's and it's, it's so, and it still it still has the as you put it the the magic mental the magic disabled person trope. Yeah, for for the for the second time for the in a second row. time in a row. Yeah, thanks, sorry. It's it's still something where it's like I I don't think he does these things with willful intention. I don't even think he does I, them in a like unconscious bias way. No, I think he just doesn't think about it, and I, that's more of what the, that's more of the biggest criticism I'd levy against him. And my my argument is is that it's exceptionally conscious, and it, and it's also exceptionally conscious and conscious and hereditary because, like the the daughter is just used as a gambling chip chip, uh, and like her interiority is just swept to the side and she is made as invisible as possible and shelved and like she's too big of a problem and like all of this shit that is like yeah that absolutely is how disability is treated in our society our society uh fucking ow yeah like ouch <laughs> no no sorry when i say like uh not, not conscious i don't mean that he's just like does it i mean it's like no, yeah. i don't think it's he's conscious of like making his two big movies both feature that kind of character. Yeah. I don't think he's conscious of the fact that, like, that's kind of not a good, like, going back to that well twice feels a little weird. Yeah. it It's uh, certainly not malevolent. I but think. I don't think I, it's malevolent. I, I, I am one of the few people who, like, is very, not apologetic of Charlie, but it's like, I I feel like the, the way the movie treats Charlie and Hereditary is intentional, and in that I yeah. feel like it's making a point about how in traditional horror films and in real life, these kids are treated as, like, weird demonic creatures but that she is ultimately a little girl yeah and that that is why her death is so shocking in the film because it really it, it basically makes the point that you only recognize her as a real person when she's dead absolutely yeah and, and it's it's very um it's just very it's very umami it's very it's very complicated um and it's it's very uh i don't know it's not it's not exactly 101 material that, that we're that we're ever working with when it comes to Ari Aster. But at yeah. the same time, that's why we that's why we stand. Yeah, that's kind of that, that you know, that's kind of worth worth standing. Ari Aster, Yorgos, Yorgos Lanthimos, Yorgos Lanthimos, stand. <laughs> we, we stand. We stand. On, we on film creators stand them. Do you remember all any... the do you remember all the parts in Midsummer where the cultists were, would like literally look directly at the camera? No. So there was a part during the Atastupta scene where, uh, and this I think goes kind of back into the point of them being like aware of society as a whole. I'm I'm sorry that this recording is going so long. There's so much fucking shit no, to talk about. I, I think people are, I mean, one of our first very long episodes was Hereditary. I think people yeah. are, are going to expect that this is going to be a long one. <laughs> yeah, but like, yeah, it's, it, it, they're about to do the Atastupta and, and everyone is kind of standing at the base of this like cliff. And, one, and this character turns around and looks into the camera like it's a fucking Napoleon Dynamite scene. Oh, I didn't notice and, that. And he, he like, looks at the camera, and it's kind of... It's ominous because his look isn't ominous. It's just, like, the look that... uh, 
you you know the look that someone gives you when you're at a house party and like all of a sudden you're just like a person that is standing there and they just look at you to like kind of visually collate the information that you're there and then they look back at the thing that they're already looking at it's yeah, like that yeah okay uh where it's like kind of emotionless and kind of just like welcoming in that way of of it's just like it's not this person it doesn't feel judgmental and it's kind of just like oh your presence there okay i'm going to shift my attention back really quick the, the film does all, i know I, I feel like that works too if like the way the murals are constantly presented directly to the audience like there's the yes. one at the start of the film there's the love story one that's just shown to the audience i feel like there's a lot of things like that that are like foregrounded in a way that acknowledge the audience and make them a part of the witnessing yeah a hundred percent it's and how that probably ties into the anthropology thing also another great contradiction i just thought that's in the film because uh, i was thinking about that opening mural scene Putting the title of your film, Midsummer over a winter storm, brilliant. <laughs> Such a good bit. So good. Such a, like, subtle, like, joke, but also, like, introduction of the themes of contradiction. Yeah, there's so much, there's so much of that shit, and there's so much mirroring. There's that great shot, like, quite literally, there's so much shit with mirrors in this fucking movie. There's that great shot of, uh, they're, they're in the room... We're just going to go through every single fucking yeah, scene. Yeah, that's fine. We fuck just it. Fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. It's a good movie. <laughs> it's There's a, a lot to movie. talk about. Um, th- there's a scene where Christian, Josh, and Mark, and Pele are studying together in this, like, dorm room situation, and there's a big mirror on the wall. There's also a dab rig and a bong. Switch up. <laughs> Which is... I can't believe I missed that. <laughs> <laughs> there is a dab rig next to Pele on, on this, like, weird uh, cabinet. And then under the table in another shot, because you don't see it in the ensemble shot, but in like a close-up, there's a bong under the coffee table. (laughs) That's my house. That's where we're recording I'm looking at a bong right now. There's a bong directly next to the microphone. (laughs) That's the bong. Bong ASMR. That's just an incredible scene all around. Uh, And it's made more incredible by uh, Christian being like, okay, she's coming with us, but she's not coming with us. Oh, she's here right now. Shut up, shut up, shut up. And she, he, like, lets her in, and she's like, hey, guys, great. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And, and then Josh just doesn't say anything. Yeah, Christian puts his... You see in the reflection Christian putting his arms around her and kissing her, and Josh, Mark, and Pele look so uncomfortable because they were just talking about this shit. And, like, they, like, they don't sanction this relationship. They're, like, not okay with this affection, and they're just kind of, like... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is great. Uh, and then there is fucking... Oh, God. Oh, and then another mirroring thing. <clears throat> so there's kind of there's kind of this general thematic conceit of uh, Pele being the anti-Christian by, like, being able to show emotion and being able to say sorry. Uh, and in the same way, Maya feels kind of like the anti-Danny because Maya is, like, showing all this interest in Christian and is able to... And, and like is able to speak uh, and is able to be like, hey, I'm I'm really interested in you and I'm really interested in pursuing like romance air quotes. Um, and it, that is kind of visually manifested in, in like the first time that you see Maya, um, she's kind of preparing herself in a mirror in like a really similar uh, outhouse to the one that Danny was in during her bad trip at the beginning of the film. 
Um, which is another thing that's mirrored because Danny has a bad trip at the beginning and then Christian has a bad trip at the ending, so it's all about their power struggle and, uh, and power going from, uh, from Christian to Danny throughout the movie. Uh, but, and then, like, the Maya shot is framed so that she's in the right side of the frame and she's looking into the mirror and she goes, like, and, like, does that breath thing and then she, like, goes out into the world. And in the exact same framing, uh, Danny blows out the birthday candle later on in the film and goes, like, uh, reversed. So good. Uh, oh, I love filmmaking. I'm so, I'm such a loser. And it's, but it's no, so good. No, it's good. I'm glad that you're uh, smarter about filmmaking technique <laughs> than I am. Um, yeah, we just, need someone like that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the technique and just the use of, like, very consistently framing things in the same way. And very consistently framing things either in profile or head on uh, as a way to, to just be like, yeah, no, like, we are able to kind of view these things objectively and, and view them sort of like head on and, and, and face to face because they're not really that scary. Um, everything else is yeah, <laughs> in, in a way. Uh, yeah. The craft of the movie is just great. And then when Josh dies, there's a big mirror in that room, oh. which, is how, which is how you see the person who's behind Josh. And there's mirrors all over the fucking place in this shit, which is very film school but very uh but but you know ari aster he is film school he's a film school guy he's, a film, he's a film school guy uh i can't wait for his next movie i I'm, should oh yeah so we we're also talking about his shorts so any, oh, yeah. any other thoughts about his shorts no they're pretty <laughs> the rest are pretty fucking unremarkable uh he i mean i don't know they're okay he has some some kind of sort of funny ones there's one about a homeless man that i find uh kind of annoying um <laughs> And there's one from the perspective of, like, an L.A. Valley girl that's, like, kind of funny and not really... They're not really that interesting. Uh, ooh, Munchausen is... Uh, Munchausen is funny on paper. It's basically a Pixar short. Yeah, no, that's that's what I've, I've, I've heard about it, is that it's essentially a, a, a what if Pixar but fucked up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And which which is much less interesting to view in, in the long form uh, of it, I think. Um but I, but that like that being completely beside the case, I like I don't know. I, I I think that I don't really consider that part of his oeuvre because I I consider his feature films just something complete, just such a completely different beast and something that is so, so much more layered and so much more interesting that I just have to be like super supportive and super excited for whatever comes next. Yeah, no, I think I I mean he hasn't he hasn't uh, disappointed so far. And yeah, I think it's fair to be like I mean his short films are stuff that he made. Uh, in college like yeah, I mean, the last big short film he made from that if i remember correctly uh was literally his thesis statement and then he went into making like hereditary and stuff right yeah um so it's like you know they're 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 of course flawed films because they are being made by someone literally learning their craft <laughs> yeah a hundred percent um yeah is there anything else Oh, yeah, I do want to talk about the great reddit posts from his ama <laughs> uh where it's just like one of them is just like one of the questions is just like you depict trauma like really well in your films. Is it because is it just because you're really good with like your actors, you know, good casting, or like are you drawing from personal experience? And his response is both with an exclamation point. And like the first response is just like, all right, dude, don't get so excited. <laughs> uh, and then there's like another one where someone like the first question he's asked in the AMA is just like, you all right, dude? And he just says no. <laughs> he says nope, nope. <laughs> Just That's, the image of Ari Oster just fucking depressed. Yeah. On Reddit answering questions 
makes him the most relatable filmmaker alive today. And that's kind of a, that's kind of another thing that I think is important context to bring up. And this this obviously gets into some kind of weird parasocial like awkward stuff where we're talking about Ari Aster as a person. Sorry, Ari Aster, please don't listen to this. Yeah, please. Yeah, turn turn your ears off. <laughs> um, but I I think it's uh I think my my critique of his portrayal of like the disability stuff is kind of complicated by the fact that he is very obviously depressed in kind of much the same way that I have been depressed in the, in the same way that I have depression in the same way that a lot of people I know have like have depression <laughs> yeah so so it's not really you know it's not really like here's a weak man filmmaker it's like no actually like this is a this is a really complicated guy who obviously like you can kind of see in interviews that he is like losing his train of thought he is talking he is like self-aggrandizing he's like self-flagellating uh he's you know oh i've I've been doing so many interviews i, I hate myself a blue 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 um which like I think that is kind of a condition that uh, male artists tend to suffer from uh, and kind of make a big to-do about. See, Syn- Synecdoche, New, yeah, yeah, Synecdoche yeah. New York by Charlie Hall Kaufman is a good example of that. Um, but I, I think Ari Aster is coming from a place of real honesty uh, and a place of real real lived experience and, and is not... Um, and thus far is, is uh, not using his platform to be preachy and and is being i think a much more is taking a much more holistic view as a result of of all of this kind of stuff i i think really what it comes down to like in terms of the contrast is that i feel like having watched synecdoche new york um is that it's like the dark comedy that comes from being depressed and etc i feel like with ari oster comes from a place of like really wanting to be genuine and sincere with that and like really play with that kind of like pain and like hurt and like the way it fucks you up. And then Charlie Kaufman is just like, I loved his other films. Synecdoche, New York is just so bitter and snarky yeah. and mean. It's, and not yeah. in a way that's like fun or like interesting or not, for me, particularly enlightening. It doesn't feel cathartic or anything. It, it just, just feels really boring. <laughs> and I and I think that like... And it's not to like downplay because like... I've I've seen adaptation. I know Charlie Kaufman's got some shit going on. Yeah, uh, it's just very much a thing of just like, you know, there, there's a point at which you are you're gazing into your mental illness enough times that you're not really doing anything with it. You're just like, well, this is my muse. Yeah, uh, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I talked about it when we were talking about it with Ari Oster before, but it's like it's you know could contrast that with like um, Lars von Trier's whole thing of like, well, I don't want to get treatment because what if I stop making good art? And it's like <laughs> that's not how that's not how any of that works dude (laughs) are you okay (laughs) that's not how that works dude you know that right you can like you're you can you can look this up that's not how it works that's your art will be way better trust me go to therapy your your art art will probably be be way better because you won't make like weird decisions because you're depressed and self-destructive yeah you won't claim you're a nazi and get banned from palms to floor if you're not depressed (laughs) um god yeah Uh, absolutely And, and, and that's the thing um because I, I think a lot of people kind of want to gaze into the abyss and, and just make art that's like, make art that just says like, I want to kill myself. Where- I, I, I think it's the it's the suffering artist thing where it's like the belief is that in order to be a good artist, you have to have suffering. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more that if you know suffering, you can make really good art from it, but you don't have to like yeah. be currently suffering. And in fact, being currently suffering 
is probably going to impede some of your process. And yeah, and like you haven't killed yourself, you're continuing to live. And so maybe make art about that. You should be making art that like makes you feel good. That's that should be the reason why your suffering <laughs> motivates art. Yeah, that's because it's really point. It's really obvious that Ari Oster's art is like personally cathartic to him. Absolutely. And like that obviously puts him in kind of a, a really vulnerable place because he's making work that is also cathartic to like millions of other people. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's really, um, it's, it's, it's a really just, it's, it's filmmaking that has like heart. Uh, I, I feel like we're, we're, we're really seeing the rise of that kind of like the new, the new style of like that kind of filmmaking where it's like, it's, mm -hmm. there's, there's an approach to it that is cathartic and like artistic that is not just like, oh, I have to wallow in this forever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think filmmakers are also just kind of getting like a more world, a more world's uh, worldwide palette um, because there's just, there's just so much, I don't know. Fil film is, I, I don't, I don't like talking about like this kind of, or, or, or like talking in these kind of terms, but I, I, I do really think film is like a super incredible art form. Uh, and I think that film history worldwide has such a good, um, well to draw from for like interesting storytelling that is, uh, really like peaceful and really helpful and, and doesn't wag its finger, uh, at its characters. Like, look at Bong Joon-ho, like, look at... Films that come out of Iran. Look at films that come out of fucking anywhere else that is in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> uh, and, you know, like A24 shit. Like, uh, so I, I, I applaud him as, as being like kind of, kind of the one of those directors, like of, of that school and that camp of just like being able to think of these things on, on, on these bigger terms and being able to position himself as a person that is in fucking society and alive, uh, and also, uh, pushing it towards kind of the darker sort of horror end, I guess. Um, I don't know. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Good job, Oster. Good job, Ari Aster. A plus. A plus. Um, yeah, that's, is that, a, I, 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 I think, think I think that's a good, I think that's I a think good I've end talked point. myself blue in the fucking face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch Lost now. <laughs> so yeah. Now, now it's time to turn my brain into fucking bullshit candy so I can talk about garbage media and not something that's like fucking art. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna um I gotta I gotta run, I gotta catch the new Bong Joon Ho movie, uh, Parasite. It's uh, you know I'm gonna go to oh, I'm is gonna it go going? see No, it's not. Oh, I wish. Just I can't I'm just wait. I'm just bringing up a movie that I really want to see on the podcast because I, I want it to come to Seattle. We talked about that. We talked about uh, the farewell. Uh, I cannot wait for Lighthouse to get out here. Oh, Lighthouse is going to be great. Also, uh, I've, also, I've heard nothing but good from people who've seen it. Will Poulter and Jack Rayner apparently made um, their own little short film together that I'm really interested in watching. Oh, what is it? Uh, fucking, I don't know. Oh, okay, <laughs> but uh, but fair I'll, enough. <laughs> but it's it's supposedly like kind of like a short horror piece, and I'm I'm really I'm really interested in checking that out. Um, I don't think there's any other like arts or art, art good looking films that are coming out that I'm that are interesting. Um, well, Marvel just announced Phase Four. Oh yeah, the 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 we have enough money that we can now use diversity as an advertising tactic rather than <laughs> as something that is possibly actually going to be a risk tactic. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> All right, I I I fucking hate Marvel. I fucking hate it so much. I. 
Oh, we can't go on this. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, Midsummer is great. Midsummer is great. Go Don't watch go Midsummer. Support. Support. Did good. you know that Marvel literally is collaborating with the military industrial complex? They're and, like yes. shaking hands. Yeah, no, that's that's Disney, baby. Can you can you believe people get mad at independent artists and then go watch that shit? <laughs> yeah, you really can. Unfortunately. Um, so support A24. Yeah, support literally anything else. So, support anything fucking else. Listen you to animals. fucking power noise made by some dude who probably is a fucking monster rather than go see Marvel, and you'll still be causing less harm to the world. Pirate the new Blade movie. It's not going to be good. You know it's not. Come on. It's so weird that they're making a new Blade movie when the original Blades are still so good. Like, they really yeah. do. Like, I know people say a lot, like, why are you making it? The original is so good. But, like, I rewatched Blade a while back. It still holds up. It could be released. Blade 1 is an incredible You could just release movie. it now. Yeah. <laughs> and it really still is good. Well, we're at almost an hour 30. All right. Um, well, time. that's the sound of us <laughs> heading out. <laughs> Traveling away. Thank you for the Foley. Yeah, I've... I've Listen, I uh, I fiddle with things a lot. It's like an old ADHD habit, and sometimes no, yeah, it comes back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> that mood. Uh, and keep an eye out. Um, Pekipsi tapes. Should our our episode soon? is going to be dropping very soon. Yeah. Uh, probably in conjunction with with this, and that's going to be uh, that's going to be exclusive to our Patreon. You can go there to see other exclusive fun things. We have a non-exclusive thing that came out earlier, Blair Witch Project. It's the Blair Witch Project with uh, Kate Wirtz. Kate We've Wirtz. got um. We've got an actual full episode. Yeah, eventually coming. We'll we'll fucking see. Yeah, it's it's. I know we've said this a few times, but it, it is now actually recorded and therefore in the can, as they say. Yeah. But um, now comes the now editing. comes the editing part, which takes a lot more. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.